Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 12th of June, 2020, and we're back with episode 155. I am super excited for today's episode because of the wonderful guest we've got. It's none other than the CEO himself of DeepMap.ai, James Wu. Not only is it an incredibly fascinating, wonderfully engaging conversation, it is by far and away the longest conversation I've ever had with a guest clocking in at something like an hour and 10 minutes. So uh, I hope you've got a great commute. Well, wait, hold on. Nobody's actually commuting. Uh, so scratch that. I hope you have a wonderful place to sit for an hour and 10 minutes, uh, nice and comfy in your home, presumably. And because uh, I think you're going to really love this episode. It's just fantastic stuff. Uh, before getting started, though, just a friendly reminder, if you are a fan of this podcast, please do be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and drop me five stars and a written review. These reviews really do matter a lot to me, so uh, seriously, just take a moment, please, and drop those five stars, if you would, please. Or, frankly, leave me one star if you're not a fan, and uh, let me know why. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, obviously, please continue to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues, and um, don't forget, if you are in the strategy consulting space and you have any need for assistance with anything whatsoever in the autonomous vehicle or mobility space, be sure to head on over to hoagandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. And uh, don't forget, while you're there, click the blue banner at the top to take our Consumer Acceptance of Autonomous Vehicles Global Survey. It's really fascinating stuff. And I think you're going to learn a lot about yourself in the process of just answering the questions. All right, then. Um, let's get started. A bit of background I want to share with you both about Dr. James Wu as well as DeepMap. So uh, James is the co-founder and CEO at DeepMap. Uh, prior to founding DeepMap, he built his career at Baidu, Apple, and Google. Uh, Baidu, he served as the principal architect for the self-driving team. And at Google, he was a core member of Google Earth and the Google Maps team. James earned his PhD in computer science from the University of Alabama and his BS in computer science from Tianjin University in China. DeepMap is uh, obviously a so-called HD mapping company uh, for autonomous vehicle usage. They're accelerating safe autonomy by providing the world's best autonomous mapping solutions. DeepMap delivers the technology necessary for self-driving vehicles to navigate in a complex and unpredictable environment. They address three important elements, precise, high-definition mapping, ultra-accurate real-time localization, and the, the serving infrastructure to support massive global scaling. Uh, without a human driver, of course, self-driving cars will have to rely on maps with real-time localization to constantly update changes, you know, like road conditions, accidents, construction, and so on. Um, you know, for cars to be able to maneuver autonomously, of course, they must be aware of all conditions around them. And well, DeepMap is solving this challenge by providing accurate and efficient prior knowledge of the world around the car. So collectively, the founders and the employees of DeepMap have built mapping technologies in use currently by tens of millions of people daily, including Google Maps and Apple Maps. The company's technical advisor board includes former Google, Uber, and Apple visionaries Brian McClendon and Jaron Waldman, uh, as well as Dr. Leonidas Guibas, a prominent Stanford University professor, and Herman Kayas, former CEO of Bosch in Korea. In May of 2020, DeepMap was named a cool vendor in autonomous systems by Gartner and Let's say that's putting it rather lightly. So they are a pretty big deal indeed. And again, I can't reiterate what a 
uh, a thrill and an honor, and indeed really what a pleasure it was to chat with James yesterday. Uh, so thrilled to get this episode published and out the door so quickly. Hope you're sitting comfortably. Episode 155 with Dr. James Wu, DeepMap.ai's CEO, begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Three, two, one. And we're live. Well, not live, obviously, but we are recording. (laughs) So, uh, James, really great of you to join me today. Thanks so much indeed. Uh, I feel like we've been trying to schedule this uh, forever, actually. So (laughs) really great to finally connect with you. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Um, Look, you know, one of the really, uh, I think, fascinating facets about talking with folks on this podcast generally uh, and indeed, in general, is, of course, understanding kind of the background, what led people to end up in this space. Obviously, I've been calling the autonomous vehicle space the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Now, I guess it depends on one's point of view and how one wants to define that. But uh, obviously, then I'd love to kind of just hand it off to you, understand sort of your background, how you ended up here at DeepMap. And um, yeah, just really eager to hear how you got here. Sure, I can. Uh, that's that's a long story, right? Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I was a, I was a huge fan of computer science and programming technology um, when I was a student. Uh, after my PhD study, I went to uh, work for a tiny startup with three people. I, I was a uh, I was a first engineer. Um, and uh, we are working on map product. That was 2002 or 2003, a uh, long, long time ago. And at that time, I think it was the, uh, uh, the first revolution of mapping technology because the U.S. government make satellite imagery uh, accessible and usable for commercial uh, usage uh, around that time, 2002 or 2003. I still remember uh, the original name of the startup is called One Meter because they allow one meter resolution satellite image to be used by uh, commercial uh, usage. So One meter back in 02. Yeah, that sounds remarkably yes. high res. Yeah. Yes, it's very high res. Uh, today's, uh, I remember I had a flight simulator that it was a really big deal. It was down to three or four meters of resolution. I think it was one of the flight Microsoft Flight Sim versions back in the day for a few geographic areas. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, uh, I worked for that company. I realized, oh my goodness, this mapping industry will take off. Suddenly, you can sit in front uh, in front of your computer. You have like this kind of in, immediately zoom in and zoom, uh, pan around and see this all the details on the ground. It's like almost like flying every day, <laughs> right? You you can actually see all these great pictures. And that's exactly. when I first get involved in the mapping industry. And then later I worked for many other map companies, including 
Google, Google Earth, Google Maps, and uh, Apple Maps. And eventually, uh, as we making the map more and more precise, and uh, Google uh, started this effort called Google X. And uh, uh, actually, the original team, uh, a lot of the original team came from Google Maps team, and they started uh, building uh, self-driving cars. And at that time, I wasn't, I was still making maps, but in 2015, right, I was grabbed into uh, another company's self-driving car project, and I was in charge of the HD map making. So it's, if we look back, uh, it seems all the dots connect, right? It seems like I have no, no escape, but probably will grab into the <laughs> self-driving revolution anyway, one way or the other. So that's why uh, I was, uh, that's why I'm here. And four years ago, uh, I started a company with my co-founder, Mark Wheeler. Uh, we used to work together at Google for many years. And we both work on Google Maps. And specifically, we, we work together on a project called Google Earth Engine, later renamed Google Map Engine. What that product does is we create Google Earth and Google Map. And uh, we have that capability to make maps. But there's a lot of uh, organizations and uh, even countries, right? They have a tons of data, but they don't know how to make maps. So we're kind of using this kind of engine to enable them build maps. Um, okay. and hey, just to build some sort of chronological context real quick. So was this before or after the time that Google, was a, yeah, that Google acquired um, key, Keyhole, I think it was? That's after the Keyhole acquisition. Was it after? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Keyhole acquisition is 2004, 2005, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. The engine effort is uh, started in 2008, I, I guess. I can't remember. Okay. 2009, 2008. Um, but anyway, uh, we worked on that. And uh, so I was working on self-driving cars, building HD map for one company, right? I laid out the... Uh, the whole roadmap for the company, uh, SVP, right? That's a look. If you want to build self-driving nice, car. Nice pun. <laughs> <laughs> building, the, uh, building the HD map. This is like a three-month plan mm-hmm. to three-year plan mm-hmm. to five-year plan. I'm going to do all this for you. No problem. Uh, you can count on me mm-hmm. on that. But my biggest question is like, how can they roll out this kind of services, HD, uh, self-driving car services in an affordable mm-hmm. way? Because we all know that Waymo has been working on this for a decade, right? And yeah. it's not like starting from scratch a decade. It's actually depend on a lot of periods work on self-driving car technologies. And also mm-hmm. Google's great infrastructure, Google map engineers, data, code base, AI, everything. So it's very, very clear to me, self-driving car is a huge challenge even for big companies like Google. And that's just one technology. Uh, that, that's one, one challenge, right, in, in, the, in the technology field. Well, there's another challenge, which is commercialization of this technology. How can right. you make this self-driving car into a product that people can afford and use uh, once you get the, uh, past the technology barrier and the safety uh, requirement? Right, and making the self-driving car technology affordable means a lot, 
if you can't make it affordable, it's very difficult for somebody to give up a driver and then uh, to use a self-driving car if the driver actually is cheaper, <laughs> right? So, right? Right. So this is kind of an economic problem as well. And I, we, we, we took a deep look into this kind of two challenges. For the first challenge, not every company can be uh, as strong as Google or Waymo to attract all the talents that they need. So to solve the technology challenge, the first barrier is talents. You don't have enough experts for this domain. And the other, so what we do is we look at that, okay, how, how we can be helpful. I remember I used to work with Mark on Map Engine. We said we can build an engine, right? We can we can we can assemble the best HD map team, and then we build this engine and serve everybody who want to be a self-driving car player in the industry, develop their own self-driving car technology, so that they don't need to hire the talent. Most time they can't even find this kind of enough talent to do this job for them. So we kind of try to enable them to do this job, right? So that's how we help solve the technical challenge uh, and talent resource challenge for the self-driving car industry. Well, for the economic part, because this technology is so hard, you need to make this a, a very scalable product. You need to have tens of thousands, millions of cars eventually cover several major uh, metropolitan regions or a huge geospatial region in order to make a business, right? You have like 200 miles of self-driving car test route. You can't make a business out of it, either robotaxi or delivery or whatever. Right? You have to have enough right. coverage. And once, we, once you need to do that, we can reduce the cost for map making and map maintenance because map making and map maintenance in the long run, we will be one of the cost center of self-driving car companies. You have to constantly update the map, uh, changing uh, when, when the, because the environment is changing. So you have to constantly changing. And the map is centimeter uh, precise. That means you have a lot of data as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of data, a lot of computing, a lot of uh, uh, upload, downloading, uh, compression, all this stuff, right? So we can help with that as well to leverage our engine to uh, save money and enable everybody to play this game. That's mm-hmm. how we decide to start a company. I really try to help solve the one of the bottlenecks of the self-driving car industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I had a chance to learn a little bit about this space in a bit more detail. Um, CES 2019, uh, I was invited up by Here Technologies. And so I was doing some few days of moderating talks and, and it's exactly the, the thing that you talked about, right? This this notion of the need to constantly update all the all the data, and mm-hmm. I guess the idea is eventually. I mean, surely this is not the sort of volume of data that you guys can produce on your own with your own vehicles, no. but rather, I'm assuming this is something where, in the future, all vehicles will have the necessary kit, hardware, software stack as needed to constantly aggregate and indeed add to this database, which from which others can then benefit. Correct? Yes, exactly. So actually. We invented this terminology called HD map as a service, right? Yep. right? 
uh, and we we our slogan. What is that? Uh, HD is, mass. <laughs> HD mass. Right? HD mass. Let's just go uh, with that. <laughs> yeah, we, we we used to call it mass mapping as a service. And right, then right. you know there's like a mobility as a service, so it's kind of confusing. So we, we don't say that much, but it's really HD map as a service. And our slogan is your data, your map. We get the data from the self-driving cars and we build a map for the self-driving cars. And while the car using the data, using the map, we update the map. So that's really a service. Um, and this is our uh, goal and target, especially for the full self-driving car, uh, full autonomy industry, uh, level four, level five. We want to become the HD map engine for all the players in the industry. And we are serving a lot of customers already. And uh, for the other market, for level two and two plus market, where most of the cars don't have the capability to create a map by themselves, we also can help them by building a huge map covering uh, the highways and most of the uh, uh, surface road so that they can drive uh, safely on this kind of map. Is very yeah, I don't know the ex- I don't know the extent to which you can talk about companies that you're working with already, but it seems to me that I mean, j- just sort of intuitively, as you mentioned, I mean, there, there's so much work that goes into all these different aspects of building even a semi-autonomous vehicle, let alone a fully autonomous one. I think about, for example, GM and how they they've been trying to build out their super cruise technology. But if I'm not mistaken, they're developing their own mapping. Uh, data as well. And so it kind of makes me wonder, why would anybody, why would any company want to do this on their own? It almost seems to me to use a sort of silly analogy. It's, it's almost to me seeming like, uh, I don't know, rather than using, I guess, AWS, for instance, or, or whatever, you end up trying to host your own system, say, like, why, like, why would anybody today already as of 2020 try to do this on their own when there's folks like you, like, uh, exactly right. So, I mean, unless we, they're a dedicated mapping company too, obviously I get that, but they're not. They're GM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a GM is actually not building their own maps. They hire somebody else to build their maps. Oh, uh, do they? they? Okay, that makes yeah, more they, sense. I didn't know that. Okay. Usually, the OEMs they don't want to build their own maps. Uh, one, one of the reasons some of the companies uh, building their own map is because our company is fairly new. We're only four years old, and a lot of company has been working on self-driving way before DeepMap even exists, right? So it's kind of like, and, and HD map is essential for self-driving. So before you even right. make the car drive on itself, you need to have a map. Uh, it's not only for driving, it's also necessary for simulation as well. Yep. So yep. Uh, a lot of the companies, even before their car's ready, they have to build a map somehow. Uh, that's make... Uh, the stick with their map, you know, when, once you have a map, switching over have some non-trivial amount of cost. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think, well, in the, in, in the recent years, when there's new companies coming out of building self-driving car, uh, we see more and more of them just come direct to us or mm-hmm. some other map companies looking for solutions, which is just reasonable in my opinion, Right. And especially for our model, if you look at our business model, we're very, very flexible. We don't need to take the ownership of the data if the data came from our customer's car 
or just a service, right? Our customer almost have nothing to lose, <laughs> but all the benefit. Yeah, they got the they got the data, they got the map, uh, they got uh, they can forget about the map update uh, problem, data versioning, all those issues, correctness, map correctness, and precision, how to maintain the precision and freshness. All this problem we solved for them with a fraction of the cost if they try to do this themselves. And yep. for a lot of these customers, they probably even cannot do this themselves. They don't have the right talent and team to do this. And they're not a map business anyway, <laughs> right? Right, so, right. So I was, I, I, was, I was kidding with Mark and my co-founder very often. Like uh, we're, we're talking about a lot of the self-driving car companies. I think once they scale up, covering multiple cities and multiple places, they almost like to has to become a map company themselves if they don't mm-hmm. use services like us, right? Yeah, that makes sense. No, I get that exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm curious to ask about the data though. I don't know. This might be beyond the scope of what you know what you feel like discussing, but just briefly because we um I, I don't know if you know I'm actually a lawyer, a California licensed oh, attorney, nice. and and I just yeah, it's be carefully. I'm not. I, <laughs> No, uh, mercifully, I'm the good kind. I'm not practicing right now. I'm, you know, doing all sorts of other fun things. Uh, but, but I did have the chance just a couple of weeks ago to teach a continuing legal education course with the Beverly Hills Bar Association, and uh, with one of my friends and colleagues. Uh, so we put on this course, and one of the recurring themes is, of course, the 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 concept of obviously data security and privacy and all that sort of good stuff. And right. obviously, it's a big issue with respect to mapping data. I just want to ask one really, really simple. Well. I don't know. Maybe it's not so simple, I guess. Uh, a sort of a high-level question. Um, you know, it, is there an easy way to answer this? Um, if, if, say, everybody, if everybody's vehicle is effectively helping to aggregate data, which is then used by, by you guys, say, or indeed other companies who, for lack of a better word, license your, your data to use it however they see fit, is there or is there not an argument that we, the consumers whose vehicle data is being used, in some way should be perhaps uh, eligible for some some small trickle stream of revenue share from that data. Is there any valid argument there? Because it's a thing that's turned up. It's a thing we've heard. And again, I'm not even trying to get into the issue of privacy per se, but just insofar as is there any monetary ownership with respect to that data, or is that even a valid argument? I think it's a valid argument, actually, in the long run. And uh, if I look at this from another perspective, I think this is already happening in a lot of places. So nowadays, there's a lot of, for example, there's a lot of free apps, a navigation app or a, a location-based service app. It's free. You use it. But actually, uh, the data that you generated while using the app could worth some money and the company actually making a revenue out of it because well, I know that's what companies are doing these days currently, but I've never heard of a situation where we, the consumer get a cut of that. <laughs> Even uh, so, though we're basically had it. <laughs> so if you look at like, you don't have a cut of it, but you're using the service for free. Well, sure. That's okay. That's valid. That's certainly right? true. Yes. That's, that's a, that's a value, right? That's a value. Or, yep, you know, yep. but you know, I think that's just the easier business model then ask each customer or uh, their users to have a cut of their revenue 
well pay for the service, right? That's like even more complicated today. Um, yeah. In the self-driving car space, I think in the long run, that's also an interesting scenario to discuss. Uh, mm-hmm. I see some things happening already. Like uh, there's always this kind of a negotiation between suppliers and OEMs and customers. Like the OEMs may have a lot of data. And if the suppliers want to, uh, tier one, tier two suppliers want to get their hand on the data, they have to reduce their cost of their service mm-hmm. to the OEMs or component mm-hmm. to the OEM. This is happening all the time already. So I think you have a very valid point. But how that value or the cut show up could be different. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, you're right, because even insofar as just suppose, for instance, just a basic GPS today had indeed really, you know, basically real-time updated data, I mean, truly real-time updated data, that already would indeed be a value because of course. Yeah. And if it's yeah, aggregated it's, from every, yeah, I see that. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's very valuable. It shows the yeah. traffic, uh, your pattern, where you like to go, yeah. and also a lot of location-based opportunities, business yep. opportunities, yep. right? So, I mean, I have been in the map industry for 17 years, so this is a uh, no surprise to me. I know mm-hmm. location-based data actually has a lot of values. However, if you look at our business, we really try to help. We try to enable our customer. It's not like we are what try to take away our customer data and try to make money out of it. We sure. just try to help our customer to move fast. I think that's the, the the real motivation for us because we believe self-driving cars such a great technology. It will, it will probably eliminate a lot of the uh, car accidents and the injuries, uh, and also uh, this will free the human being from like constantly paying attention while they're driving. Like before the pandemic, I'm driving, like I'm spending at least an hour and a half every single day because of commute, right? right. Uh, and that's part of my life, uh, right? It's yeah. gone. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't have true. been uh, doing more stuff uh, doing that. Um, and also there's so much automation we can do if we have robots actually deliver stuff here and there. Uh, we can probably solve the congestion problem if there's a lot of self-driving cars uh, on the street, because we can actually schedule them, <laughs> right? Right, true. So it's it's very, very beneficial. It's not just uh, to one country or one company. It's beneficial to the whole uh, world and the whole human species. And I, that's why we believe this will happen sooner or later. Um, and uh, we're working very hard toward that direction. I mean, you don't have to convince me about that. I mean, the whole reason I'm not practicing law is precisely because I wanted to start this uh, this this consulting firm with a bunch of academics from around the world, and our whole our whole purpose is indeed to try to do our part to sort of facilitate uh, what we see as this massive gap as between technology in one hand and let's face it, really just market deployment involving all the various facets of that, uh, yeah. because it's a really difficult thing to get right. So so yeah, let's yeah. let's actually. Uh, you know, kind of shift gears then, I guess, and talk about AVs specifically as a whole, you know, the technology mm-hmm. and kind of where we're at today, where we're headed. Um, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got to ask though, quick aside for a moment, I'm just sort of connecting some dots in my head. So you were at Google and Apple uh, working on mapping. I've got to throw out two names of some high school buddies of mine. I'm just curious if you know them because they also were there around the same time as you, I think. Do sure. the names Bill Chen or Anthony Lewandowski ring a bell? <laughs> oh my goodness. Of course, Bill Chen was my buddy and his office right next to me. And when we, yeah. uh, when I was working at Apple, he's awesome. He's now- no uh, way. One of the founding engineer of uh, what's the name? Uh, right, right OS. Right OS in San Francisco. Yeah. He's yeah. awesome. And yeah. uh, of course, uh, uh, Lavendersky, right? He's very famous. Right? Well, I meant besides <laughs> that, I was trying not to go there. I meant personally. <laughs> He's very, very famous. And we actually have a few uh, interactions with him before us. Well. Yeah. This world is so tiny, this AV world. I mean, yeah, these are two of my good buddies in high school. And uh, Really? Uh, they're going to hate me for Maybe. saying this, but we, yeah, yeah, we actually, we may have been responsible for starting the high school chess club. Please don't ever repeat that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they, yeah, I remember Bill actually, I think he practically learned every single chess opening. He was obsessed with this chess book just every day, just memorizing every single opening. It was remarkable i lost a two-hour game to anthony once which was like the greatest <laughs> loss i've ever had in a chess game yeah fun times <laughs> i have to say which which school did, did you go you, you, this is an amazing school <laughs> you have so many <laughs> yeah seriously right yeah, no, this was, uh, this was, yeah seriously yeah no it was uh tam high in mill valley oh nice yeah mill valley, just just here in marin <laughs> county uh yeah across the golden gates okay. yeah awesome yeah, yeah. awesome high school Seriously, <laughs> yeah. your, your so, classmates are so so amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it's true. I, I'm I'm always blown away to see what these guys went off and did. I mean, it's it's super super cool. And obviously, yeah. for me to sort of end up at least in some little capacity in this space uh, with really no intent previously, just as a guy who always loved cars generally, and as a guy who spent most of his UCLA career studying engineering, uh, you know, it was just kind of like the perfect discovery of mine to kind of just fall into this space you know and uh it's, it's just awesome. such a great fascinating field obviously um who, who else in your high school actually also working in, in the self-driving car industry <laughs> gosh good question uh i think those are the only two that i know of off the top of my head okay. uh why is that not enough should there be more <laughs> there could be more <laughs> yeah there could be <laughs> right uh, yeah awesome. wow I actually know right, both so, of them. i'm sorry I actually knew both of them very well. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of what I figured. That's why I had to ask. I mean, again, it's such right. a small world. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. All right. So, so yeah, let's talk then about AVs more broadly. Um, I know it sounds a bit cliche to even ask the question, but I think it's worth briefly mentioning. Uh, obviously, with everything that happened with COVID, the lockdown, et cetera, there's been a lot of, a lot of negative, I guess, conversation about how it's having an adverse a really negative impact on AV testing, deployment, whatever. I've tried to take a rather more positive view, suggesting that really this has been an optimal time to uh, 
increase testing on public roads, if only because, well, you've got less usage by pedestrians mm-hmm. and indeed certainly cars. Okay, granted, perhaps the data set is a bit suboptimal, less cars, less pedestrians to worry <laughs> about, but it's it's a non-zero benefit, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, what Absolute. do you think? Yes, uh, we actually uh, drove around uh, testing our map, uh, mapping vehicles, mapping rigs. Uh, we noticed there's like a, there was nobody on, on the street uh, for a lot of the streets, right? Uh, yeah. Which is a great time to map, <laughs> actually. Yeah, yeah um, I guess so. Exactly. I agree with that. I think the uh, coronavirus situation is actually uh, a reminder of the, the of the industry uh, that actually uh, self driving car is not something nice to have. Sometimes it's necessary, right? Uh, well, yeah. It, mm-hmm. Especially for this kind of a pandemic situation, we actually. We couldn't do shopping like before for a long period of time. And we're kind of worried about uh, getting contact with other human beings and get these uh, diseases. I have my mother-in-law living with us and uh, we're, we're deeply worried about her situation. If we ever, one of us get the virus, uh, bring, uh, bring the virus to home, right? No, no, I know what you mean. My, my parents are in their 80s uh, and, you know, that's been exactly uh, the concern for my wife and for me. Uh, and of course yeah. my wife's family who are all the way in Romania that we can't even help out with. And indeed it is this concern that if, you know, I, I feel like the future has got here and we're not ready for it yet. I mean, future in a negative yeah. sense, like here's, here's this terrible, terrible hurdle and we're not quite prepared for it because no. ride sharing in a truly driverless car, that would have been the optimal solution, obviously. And we're just exactly. not quite ready. Yeah, we're not right. And it's super frustrating. <laughs> I think one way is frustrating. The other is, I think this is accelerating. It's like a, almost like a push to yes, people. Yes, like, it's okay, sort of a catalyst in a crazy sort of yes. way. Yes, it's like yeah. we need to have a contactless delivery. Yep. We need to have, yep. so think of this way, like we're, we're talking about delivery of grocery stuff from the uh, supermarket to my home. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is like, how about the hospitals? They yeah. need supplies. Who going to yeah. deliver to them? And this is almost like too risky. And also other places that, that are dangerous uh, could be the uh, source of, uh, of the virus. I mean, that's, these kind of things require self-driving technology to develop faster. Um, we believe, uh, of course, the pandemic is a horrible situation for the economy. But uh, this wake up people's uh, mind. They need to think about uh, what does self-driving car means it's just not uh limited to what we used to thought about right this is critical for health and safety related issue as well yeah no i completely agree i mean i feel like history has often shown that the worst of times often bring about the greatest innovations out of necessity exactly Um, yeah i i believe uh, and also this is in certain sense for us it's a good thing because um, uh, this kind of a slowdown in business and, uh, 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 of course, because of this kind of a pandemic situation, the investment slows down and uh, the, uh, uh, most of the companies, they need to sit back and think, rethink about their strategy dealing with this kind of a economy slowdown. And they need to take a hard look at their burn cost-saving effort, and also take a hard look, see, uh, to estimate their go-to-market speed. 
of their product. So for self-driving car technology, this is there's a long investment cycle and huge amount of upfront investment, right? I think we should seriously thinking about how we can make this easier, like less burn, well, faster go to market speed, right? Yeah. To, to get the product to the market uh, sooner. So that uh, I think one way we believe to solve this problem is collaboration. Deep uh, so you took the words out of my mouth and that, because that's exactly <laughs> what we're seeing everybody do, right? So I feel like all right. these smaller kind of techie AV companies, they're realizing, hmm, we probably can't build an actual car. And all the car companies are saying, we kind of don't have the necessary brain power to build AV hardware software stacks. And so, yeah, everyone's kind of pairing off, partnering up like a high school dance sort of, you know? Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's nothing, nothing is easy, I have to say. We are very humble. We know the self-driving car technology is very hard. We have some of the best mapping engineers in the industry. Yeah. And we're still working super hard just to help customers solving their mapping problems and localization problems, this kind of issues, right? The, yeah. the, 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 the overall uh, self-driving car technology is really, really challenging. It's a, According to Tim Cook, this is a mother of all the AI problems. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's really Absolutely. challenging. And for this kind of challenging task, it's require more collaboration, deeper collaboration, yep. right? Uh, wide collaboration. And we are we're very open and flexible for this kind of collaboration. We're, we're ready. We're helping a lot of customers to move super fast and get over the hurdle that's uh, slowing them down. Right. Mm -hmm. So, well, okay. So let's talk about that, what that deployment looks like. Um, I guess the, what I, what I would love to ask you is, so um, I, I've had this kind of really strong belief for a while that one of the biggest hurdles to uh, I guess, fast tracking autonomous vehicle, well, testing and deployment really is that I, I sort of feel that there's too much focus on kind of the ultimate end game of level five cars meaning mm -hmm. to me it seems that if if companies would just focus more on level four cars and treat them as what i call let's face it a level four car is effectively a virtual train of sorts in the sense mm -hmm. that it can maybe only go on certain roads here and there maybe certain conditions right yeah. um i just feel like if that were the focus rather than level five i feel like things could be accelerated quite a bit and I just think that that would be an incredible goal on its own. And I, I just, I don't know, I'm curious what you think. Uh, like, do, does that make sense to you as well? Or, or do you disagree? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, we, I totally agree with you on this. I think level five technology is a great motivation. Um, right. But as, as I mentioned, the, uh, let's talk about level five robotaxi, right? The upfront investment, the return cycle. Uh, the the mm -hmm. go-to-market speed is all, all very, very big challenges, even for well, China, right, exactly. very, very successful company like Google, right? And Apple. Yep. So um, I think I totally agree with you. I, I believe the whole industry is moving toward where you just described. Um, mm -hmm. So there's this new terminology called level two plus, level two plus plus. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of like a level four system, but, you know, it's just uh, not level three, level four. You still need a driver, uh, but it's, it's getting smarter and smarter and safer and safer, right? 
I think that's one way to get the self-driving car technology into the consumer vehicle before it's level five ready. Right. 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 That's that one direction. Sense. There's also this kind of a hub-to-hub trucking applications, a limit into fixed route, uh, no passenger conditions, right? Highway, hub-to-hub uh, conditions, uh, much easier than the urban or metropolitan environment. I think that's dramatically reduced the complexity and difficulty of the problem. Mm-hmm. There's also this kind of low-speed delivery vehicles that you can just stop right there and wait until yeah. the environment <laughs> clear up, or you can switch <laughs> over in a remote control um, to drive it remotely, slowly, in a safe way, right? I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm we... picturing Neuro's little delivery bots. What is it? R2, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, there's, a, there's plenty of this kind of company working on this already. Uh, because I'm in this industry, a lot of our customers are already doing these kind of things. And uh, there's also, uh, we have uh, a lot of my friends running their own companies, helping in, this, uh, in these domain as well. So I think the industry is moving that direction. And potentially the future winner could be one of those players as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As they roll out their product first, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think this kind of uh, syncs up with what you said earlier. One of the big concerns, I guess, uh, you know, as a, you know, I was in startup world for like eight years. I mean, I know what it's like to raise a Series A, basically, as we all know, it sucks. <laughs> it's miserable and awful. And, uh, you know, and I think the big concern is that I feel like and I could be wrong about this, but it just, it seems like AV technology is, again, it, it, in light of what, everything we're discussing, it, it's almost getting lumped into the sort of, gosh, this is like a 10, 20 year return thing, sort of like biotech. And we know how how excited Silicon Valley is about like 10, 20 year timeframes for, you know, <laughs> getting anything out of a biotech investment. And like, I, I just think that would be a real shame if it gets lumped into there. On the flip side, to your point about more and more companies cooperating, working together, that should help avoid lumping AV into this, you know, pipe dream of sorts. Um, yeah, I think that's the big concern going around, right? Everyone's saying, "Oh, was everybody wrong?" And I said the other day, I don't think it's fair to say that that people were wrong. It was more about, you know, with respect to time frame, right? I think it was rather more along the lines of, "Gosh, it's just a much more complicated thing than we realized." And so, as you say, uh, now we've got to adapt, and that means much more collaboration. Yeah, I think the the challenge is how can we bring the future to now faster, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's exactly why we started DeepMap. I know there will be some company like this has to exist to help people solve the HDMAP problem in a scalable and uh, economic way. Uh, but I don't know who's going to build it, right? And, and I can't yeah. sit there and wait for somebody to build this kind of service like four years later. I have to do it. And uh, of course, there's, uh, there's challenges and risks. I used to work for big companies, right? I, I have almost no risk. <laughs> I, I was a yeah. fairly good engineer, well, well, very well paid, uh, very stable uh, job. Uh, but I think it's worth the effort to try to bring the future closer by a year or two or somehow. Yeah, right? This absolutely. is kind of the motivation drive me to work super hard every single day try to get where we want to be so uh, we want to drive the price and the cost of the uh, hd map 
and maintenance as cheap as possible. I think a lot of the OEMs and uh, self-driving car players, one of the reasons they can't use HDMAP or they don't want to use HDMAP is not like they don't like it. It's just too expensive for them to use, for some of them, right? They can't afford, they're selling a consumer vehicle and they can't afford a super expensive map, um, like the Waymo type of map. However, if we can reduce the price of the map to pennies per mile, uh, that's, that will be uh, very affordable and why people don't want to use it, right? Once you have this kind of a high precision map accessible and is almost uh, free, why, mm-hmm. why don't people use it? It just makes your car so much safer. <laughs> right. no, of course but 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 i have a question though i mean isn't isn't there like isn't there the possibility of presuming <clears throat> a truly autonomous vehicle future and now really looking at level five ironically mm-hmm. even though i just said not to but <laughs> that, that true autonomous vehicle future with no steering wheel and so forth aren't it doesn't this presume precisely that uh individuals in fact must not own the cars anymore and so therefore any additional costs should be less of an issue because now the cost is being, you know, the burden of the cost is rather on, say, robo taxi fleets rather than individuals, right? And so presumably, um, I mean, I get, okay, cost will always be an issue regardless who has to buy it. But I mean, it's it's less of a sensitive cost than it would be for an individual today. No, uh, I I think in general that is right. Right, once you the car can drive itself. And you won't be able to utilize a car all the time, so it makes little sense for you to really own the vehicle yourself. Right. Um, it must but, be shared, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be shared, but in my opinion, there's still a huge need for certain people to just own vehicles. Uh, like, I have, I'm a father, I have two kids, you know, I have a lot of stuff in my car, <laughs> and I still need a car. <laughs> 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 I just That's can't valid. <laughs> Right, I just can't imagine without a car. I mean, just I don't know about you. I I I live through this uh, for a family. I at least I need a pretty big van. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a valid point. I, I guess I don't know what it's like to have any kids yet, but I guess I'll get there soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's very important for us, and we I think the ownership of car will probably drop. Like you, right. even for a family with kids. If we can have one car uh, just for our family out and uh, doing some kids-related stuff, um, it, if it's self-driving, it's even better, right? I mean, right. I can send the car empty to pick up my kids from school. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I just, I just can't wait for that to happen, right? <laughs> Seriously, that, that would be yeah. pretty great. I can imagine. Right. And also um, when you don't don't have a driver you don't have to drive you can actually enjoy a meal or just drink some wine inside uh, inside the car uh, i i believe the wine industry will have a boost <laughs> once oh yeah absolutely <laughs> no for sure actually it's funny we're, we're actually we've been conducting uh this this survey uh with our company for the last several months trying to you know get a real sense of what we call just so-called consumer acceptance of autonomous vehicles and of course that's one of the questions all the various things people would enjoy doing in a car and uh yeah, it just opens up a tremendous amount of freedom, obviously, uh, the, the sort of freedom where I think without any doubt, once this reality is with us, mm-hmm. you know, people will imagine how did we ever live without it, obviously. It's, uh, yeah. it's such so an it's obvious... A one way, 
Yeah. One way. It's a one way. Once you yeah, get absolutely. used to it, uh, you just can't get rid of it anymore. Yep, exactly. Hey, so I have a somewhat more tech question to ask, uh, at least, sure. you know, at least at a high level. I'm just kind of curious. One of the kind of questions that gets thrown around a lot, again, almost to the point that it's become a bit of a cliche. So sorry for asking. Um, 5G, right? Is this or is it not, in fact, a necessary condition for a connected autonomous future? Um, first, I think 5G is something that we can't avoid. It will happen anyway. Oh, I, that I totally agree with. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So is it an absolute necessity for self-driving cars? I'm not sure about that, actually. Uh, but if it, will that be useful? Absolutely, right? It will mm-hmm. be very, very helpful. There's a couple. The of issue things. being what the lower latency, because surely it's not a, just a bandwidth issue, right? It's just the late. I mean, the, the primary benefit is the lower latency. No, the latency is very good, right? I mean, right. the lower yeah. latency is very, very helpful because when you remote control a vehicle, the latency. Yep. You probably don't want. La- I mean, hey, bad latency is terrible for 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 a first person shooter too. <laughs> so don't want yeah. don't want bad latency for a remote operation. <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing. The other thing is the bandwidth, right? Yeah. Uh, these two things always come together. With higher bandwidth, you got a much better uh, uh, channel to get the car connected with the cloud and the control center. Uh, you just have a much faster rate of data exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more data you have in the car, it's, it's, it's safer. Uh, and also, uh, because 5G will have a lot of base stations, this will help dramatically with... Uh, uh, not only data exchange, but also uh, vehicle localization, a very oh, high uh, localization as well. Um, it's, it's There's multiple benefits for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, we, yeah, fair enough. We, we think this uh, 5G is definitely going to help the self-driving car deployment. Yeah, but I guess with respect to the, what, limited range, I guess, I mean, you're right, you would need a ton of additional uh base stations and cell towers generally, right? So, I mean, doesn't that raise the concern of just how practic- how impractical it's going to be to build out a sufficient coverage before it even has any value, right? I'll say the other way, right? So 5G is not just for self-driving cars. People right. want to use 5G technology already, right? There's a lot of, uh, plenty of other applications for 5G. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to have 5G right now. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, you probably can't stop it anyway. So, I mean, yeah. if, so you, your next generation phone will probably have 5G on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, the self-driving car will just take advantage of it. And yeah. to us, it's almost like, okay, maybe this is, I'm just uh, thinking, right? Nobody knows what happened. If you have 5G regions, your redundancy system is so much safer, you can really mm. become mm. your car into a level five system. If we, you run out of the 5G region, uh, then maybe it's an ADAS system or level two, level three. Uh, oh, system. I see. That's, a, that's an interesting right. point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so something, something like that could happen down the road. Um, that reminds me. Do you, do you, sorry, this is sort of an aside, but do you see any reality where there's kind of an in-between time zone, kind of like an interim state, uh, I guess, between... I guess somewhere between level three and level five, maybe between level four and level five, um, where there's there's a market for, I don't even know what to call it, like backup 
teleoperation drivers on demand, <laughs> effectively, if that makes any sense. So, so, you mean so, remote so operators? I don't know if I got. Yeah, yeah, that. exactly. So remote operators, but sort of only when needed, kind of on demand. We're like that you've got a bunch <laughs> of backup drivers kind of on standby, just and, and whenever there's a vehicle that needs assistance, uh, suddenly suddenly gets paired. A remote driver might get paired up with with that particular vehicle. Does that even? Is that a reality that makes sense, you think, to kind of bridge the gap as between, say, a level three, level four future and a fully level five future? Uh, I believe so, actually. This is already happening for some of the uh, delivering vehicle startups. And uh, i just tell you what I learned. Actually, this is this kind of a, what we call operation center or call center, right? For the right, right exactly. Yeah. This, this is actually a very common thing in the train industry, I learned. Long time ago. Yes. So uh, this is fascinating. I, I, I had a friend uh, serving the train industry for a long time. He told me that actually in the train industry, the train is pretty much self-driving most of the time. So well, I, I, I know that I'm very good steering input. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's self-driving. And you, you, you also have a driver in it. But, you know, think about the, the, what the driver can do, right? It's very limited. Not very much. <laughs> and actually, a lot of the trains uh, in North America, I think they have a very good uh, uh, high-speed connections so that, you know, for emergency control and brakes and this kind of things. Oh, uh, interesting. Tracking. I didn't know that. So they act, there's actually operation centers uh, to dealing with all these trains remotely, huh. control them, stop them, uh, start them, this kind of things, right? Um, there's companies providing this kind of device and services for hmm. the train industry. I mean, if, if you look at the self-driving cars, robotaxi or delivers, it's, it's almost like a tiny train, self-driving train, right? So oh, that's, that's actually what I was suggesting earlier. Exactly. You've got these yeah. sort of virtual trains. And I think that's the point yeah. that if consumers stop seeing autonomous cars as, well, cars that drive themselves, but rather just a different type of train, I think that makes it a lot easier to accept for those people who are not willing to accept them otherwise. Exactly. I mean, I totally uh, can envision that uh, the operation of uh, uh, remote operating self-driving cars could be a good business as well. There's been mm -hmm. plenty of companies doing that already. Um, I mean, I know uh, it's used a lot for backup driving, certainly. And of course, we all heard the sad story about Starsky. Uh, and I recently got acquainted with some folks over at a company called uh, uh, Chibus. Um, so I, I, I get it. And that's kind of why I was asking. I was just sort of curious where that falls into all this, you know. Um, yeah, I think, I think so, that's going to happen. There will be operation, yeah. type of operators. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I guess, yeah, let's go back then more kind of to the work that you guys are doing with all this data. Um, I wanted to ask about, um, I'm glad that this, that that's, all the development and kind of all the regulation is effectively in states' hands. At what point do you think it'd be good for federal regulation to take over? Because I always use analogies for aviation. I'm a huge, as they say, uh, av geek. I love aviation as well and everything aircraft. And I just think there's so much to be learned from the aviation world. And yeah. I've often said that thanks to organizations like the FAA and the IA what is it, the IA, ICAO or IATA internationally. This is why aircraft are the safest place you can be within the globe, <laughs> you know? Right, um, right, exactly. So what do you think about this, this need that I've often suggested that, you know, that at least for level four and level five vehicles, we need some sort of standards, both with respect to cars, technology, uh, roads, 
you know, uh, markings, this, that, the other, to, to facilitate self-driving cars generally. With respect to level four cars, for instance, why not just start to dedicate certain lanes on certain roads or certain lanes on freeways, that sort of thing? So yeah, federal regulation good. generally, good idea? Yeah, um, so this is funny because I was uh, invited to uh, to a conference and uh, some of the government uh, officials are there uh, f- uh, from the Department of Transportation. And I actually was calling for more regulations <laughs> in the self-driving oh. car well, that's space. that's awesome and, to hear. <laughs> and then the, the officer told me I was the first guy from the startup world actually asking just- for it. <laughs> I was going to tell you the same thing. I've never heard anyone say that, which is exactly why I was asking you. Oh, okay, then. Actually, I, I believe I believe in um, good regulations to promote innovation, right? So uh, how, how do we define good regulations? It's very difficult to define. In my opinion, uh, nobody knows what is the right way to regulate some new technology before people really understand the consequences and application of the technology. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to predict that. So almost always regulation is lagging behind the technology and the applications, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in one sense, people are right. We don't want to have regulation to block innovation. Uh, so mm-hmm. just let them grow. But on the other hand, the regulation can be really helpful if they can set up some mm-hmm. boundaries for the tech, new technology to try and fail, right? Yeah. So, for example, the self-driving lane in certain places, I think that will be an awesome experiment. And uh, even like for a certain city, for example, we can we can draw a circle of that city. Within that city, you know, it's a self-driving zone. Right? Be careful. There will be self-driving cars. Uh, we can warn anybody get into that zone and give people more. Uh, of course, we still need to guarantee the safety. Uh, we can compromise the safety, but just let people have a place to test and deploy their technology um, and and try and fail. And I think yeah, this, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, you got to push that limit to see where exactly. Mm-hmm. Right, and also give some guidance on uh, on the whole industry how we can help each other. Right, for example, collaboration, uh, promote collaboration. Uh, like uh, uh, promote some insurance company to come up with a self-driving car insurance, <laughs> right? Uh, this is this is actually a non-trivial mm. issue. What happens when there's accident, right? There should be a insurance cover because nothing will guarantee 100% safe or always work. There's right. nothing like that, right? There's always accident. And how do we deal with those? I think this kind of... Uh, uh, saying the government and the regulators could help dramatically, right? This can help dramatically. Uh, so that's that type of regulation I ask for. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's kind of my idea. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's that that is refreshing to hear. Yeah, and with respect to regular, I mean, uh, insurance generally, <clears throat> that is a discussion that turns up a lot, obviously. And I think again, if you're looking at just level five. Certainly, it's not an issue for the operator of the vehicle because they're just a passenger, right? And I guess in that case, mm-hmm. everything just shifts. The burden shifts to the – I mean, again, it's like aviation, right? Nobody ever questions whether a passenger is at fault for 
when an airplane crashes. Uh, it goes yeah. first to the pilots and then to the manufacturers, right? So same thing here. I mean, I don't really see the difference, actually, between an airplane and an autonomous car, apart from, I don't know, one's got wings and one has wheels. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it sounds silly, but it's, it's kind of true, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I believe uh, the self-driving car industry will learn a lot from the aviation industry and grow more and more similar to that. Uh, as well. Yeah. There will be more and more guidance or regulations to strictly uh, guide it. Uh-huh. And also it will be very, very safe as well, just like the aviation industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Did you see this weird report the other day? I, I didn't, I actually haven't read it yet, but I've been seeing it everywhere. Something about, it almost sounds like a complaint, like a critique that autonomous mm-hmm. cars will only reduce traffic deaths by one third. Did you, have uh, you seen this? Yes, yes, I, I saw, I saw that. Yes, like, yes. I mean, like okay. I said, I didn't bother to read it yet. I, I absolutely intend to read it. But to me, if indeed the, the point of the article is to sort of, yeah, to, 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 well, to critique the promise of an autonomous vehicle future by saying they will only reduce deaths by one third, that, I just don't see the point of that. I mean, okay, if it's one third reduction, I'll take it. <laughs> I haven't read through the article yet. I, I just got the uh, link the other day. I, got, I haven't got the chance to look through this. But even one third is a huge amount of people's lives. Exactly, that's my point. Exactly, yeah. We can't measure measure people uh, people's lives, the cost of people's lives, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, Hey, James, I just realized with respect for your time, we only have about five minutes left. Do you have any overtime available, or are you are we a hard stop? Yeah, five minutes. I have I have overtime, no problem. Okay, we'll go a little over. I promise not to keep you too long, but I want to bring it back, frankly, to you guys specifically at Deep Map. you know, just just the overarching question. I, I just I would love to understand to really you know get a holistic sense of what you guys are up to. I mean, with respect to kind of the biggest challenges uh, facing you today, and kind of where you, where you're headed next. I mean, how do you you know what are indeed some of the things that really just um, gosh, this is difficult. We've got to figure this out because indeed, as you say, mapping as a whole is a very challenging thing. Mm-hmm. But are there some particular elements that are just you know, wow, how can we improve this sort of a thing? Uh, yeah, we're facing challenges every single day, and we're very, very busy as well. Uh, in terms of biggest challenge, I would say at this stage, uh, during the uh, during the sheltering place and shutdown, we are our biggest challenge that we're focusing on is how to dramatically scale up our operation. Mm. And uh, once you do a dramatic scale up your operation. Uh, a lot of uh, small issues before you had will become uh, obviously a uh, bottleneck or a big issue. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, true. so we, are, we are working super hard to get rid of all these bottlenecks one by one so that we can scale uh, uh, our whole system. And mm-hmm. not uh, the scale also need a lot of automation right? because we will try to get uh, rid of all the manual steps and the interventions or uh, inefficiencies between uh, pipelines. We try to get it as smooth as possible. That's I was about also- to ask you about that, the manual steps. I just It just reminded me, didn't Google Images back in the day have a sort of, I mean, kind of a game where if you were browsing Google Images, it would ask you, hey, what is this image? And you would have to pick an answer. I vaguely remember this. And if I'm yes. correct, if I remember this correctly, okay, good. I, so I'm not imagining things. Uh, I wonder, does it make sense? They, they, uh, they were using Street View data to, to check if it's to, your, your robot or a real human being. 
I mean, there was that too, but I think there was like a, they were trying to do like a training, like a data set training, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Okay. Okay. So whatever you generate is, could be used as a training data as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, so what I'm wondering is, I mean, there, there is still this manual kind of human layer, right? I'm guessing mm-hmm. with the data. So is there any reality where you can effectively open it up for, for people more broadly, just in the general public to kind of do what Google did, right? Helping train that data. Um, um, you mean for perception, self-driving cars? Sure. Think, that my understanding is that a lot of the, the, the mapping data has to be properly tagged and labeled accordingly, right? And that still requires that human layer, right? So does it make sense to kind right. of open that up to everybody? Um, open up to everybody uh, in, in depending on, what's, what, on what sense, right? So if you look at the uh, company like Tesla, right, uh, their driver is actually generating a lot of training data for them as well. Well, that's true. Order mm-hmm. cases, right? So, and if you look at Google, a company like Google, right, uh, when you search and click the links, you can also generate training data. True. Um, so a lot of the human actions actually are training data. If you do it, if we do it right, uh, what human did is really good training data for the robots and AI. <laughs> yeah, right. True, true. So, I, I guess I, it was me in terms of actually helping to label some of the actual imagery because I thought that was still an issue. That's still it's the case, yes. right? Yes. Okay. There's a lot of company doing that right now. Actually, just to generate training data using uh, oversee uh, operation uh, team, and we also have a small operation team helping us, not just the. Uh, create the training data, but also QA our map as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's a human, human is a, it's a necessary component right. of the pipeline, but we try to, our goal is try to make the human as efficient as possible, right? Mm-hmm. 10, mm-hmm. 100, 1,000 times more efficient every month or things like that. We just mm-hmm. try to keep pushing the limit. Right. So, okay. So I have two kind of big questions I've been dying to ask in no particular order. So question number one is, it seems to me that if eventually we have the sort of HD mapping data that the folks like DeepMap AR are producing, and indeed if more and more companies rely on this, which it seems obvious they should be, I mean, because why not? Um, and if computer vision, AI-powered computer vision for cameras gets sufficiently good, does that in fact suggest that potentially uh LiDAR will not, in fact, be necessary one day? You mean LiDAR or map? Uh, LiDAR. LiDAR. I mean, if you have sufficiently good computer vision cameras and you have sufficiently good mapping, then is it possible that LiDAR will, in fact, not be necessary one day? Um, I think it's totally possible. But, uh, you know, there's like a time frame. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a time frame and also the cost effectiveness during this time frame if right. you want to use mm-hmm. LiDAR or not. So, and also there's this kind of a, uh, how do I say, the, the boundary between sensors getting blurry nowadays. If you mm-hmm. look at, uh, follow the sensor industry closely, there's like a mechanical LIDARs so spinning, yep. right? There's also mm-hmm. flash, solid mm-hmm. state. If you look at the flash and solid state lidar, they're more like they give you a image. <laughs> yeah, I've, that's true. I was I've noticed that it is almost a camera. That's true. Yeah, so it's almost you're looking like a sharp image with yeah. depth information on it. So that's one way. The other way is <laughs> that's a good point. Kind of a structured lighting with camera. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <clears throat> 
these two things work together is almost like a, a lidar, right? So, yeah. you know, you know, uh, you know. Once you have a structured lighting and you have a camera to mm-hmm. see the structures, the uh, the light projected, then you can actually use that to estimate the depths. And also, right. there's a lot of uh, uh, just the pure camera-based uh, passive uh, lighting cameras, right? Uh, to capture the structure as well, structure for motion or then stereo, this kind of approach to estimate depths. So I think the boundary between LiDAR camera and, and there's also imaging radar, 3D imaging radar. Right? Oh, yeah, so, sure. And also the, the LiDAR gets smarter as well. There's like this uh, uh, frequency modulated LiDAR that you can estimate the speed of stuff that you can capture on the LiDAR, not just the distance, but speed, right? Mm. This is more like a radar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So so the boundary between all these sensors are blurry, in my opinion. Uh, Which one will win out? It's it's hard to say. I think all these, uh, not a single uh, uh, sensor has no limits. Every sensor has their own limits. And the industry need redundancy and safety and also affordability, economics, right? So we have to consider all those reasons. So it's pretty hard to predict when the camera will be good enough that LiDAR is not necessary, or maybe when the LiDAR is cheap enough that you just doesn't make any sense to not use one. <laughs> yeah, you right? know what's funny is you're right. I guess I guess now that I'm having this discussion with you about this topic, I guess it's kind of a silly question. I mean, at the end of the day, who really cares? And I guess it kind of goes back to the question of standardizations, right? As long as you're using, I mean, who cares if you're using LIDAR popsicles or flowers to measure your distance to something? I mean, as long as it all works well enough, isn't that all that matters? Yes. And okay. also there's all kind of conditions, right? The lighting condition can change. Exactly. So the camera will have limits on there and the weather condition can change. Radar and LIDAR could be helpful for some of this kind of uh, corner cases and for the safety of the system, maybe for a safety critical system, you have to use more sensors or for a less safety critical system or a lower level self-driving system, maybe you can afford to not use all the sensors. I don't mm-hmm. know. This is what happened. This is yeah, like a trade-off. Yeah. Balance. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So I guess my, my last thing, just wanted to open it up to you. I mean, uh, I was meaning to ask you earlier, but uh, if you felt like sharing any of the uh, latest kind of news or developments about DeepMap and any of your partners that you can talk with, any of your customers, you know, certainly happy to open it up to you and share anything you'd like at this point about that. Sure. We're working with uh, a lot of uh, customers right now and helping them to move fast with, uh, with their mapping needs and self-driving car needs. Um, and also we're, we're hiring actually, um, uh, this is like a a pandemic situation, but, you know, we believe talents are the most, uh, people are the most, uh, valuable asset for our company, for DeepMap. And we care a lot about that. And we, uh, we, we're looking for very experienced, uh, uh, product managers, especially with background knowledge in the self-driving car space and the mapping space. And we're also hiring a very uh, experienced radar engineer. Um, we have a few openings. And if people are interested, if I have friends interested in this kind of positions, I'd love to talk to them. Um, we are very and you guys are based open. here in the Bay Area, right? 
Yes, we're based in Bay Area, uh, uh, near Palo Alto, right? We, uh, yeah, okay. we have a lot of perks, and uh, we have a very open and transparent culture um, that people love. Check us out, right? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yes. Awesome. No, this, this is great. Well, look, by the way, as an aside, please feel free if there's any folks you see on my LinkedIn you'd like an intro to. I'm more than happy to help uh, do that for you. So just say the word. Um, yeah, uh, I'll try to reach out to Bill as well. <laughs> yeah, you should. You know, we, we, it's funny. He and I lost contact. You know, I went to UCLA, he went to Berkeley, and then we kind of lost contact. We kind of touched base a few times uh, in the last just last couple of years only, believe it or not. So, yeah, uh, it's yeah. amazing. Small world, yeah, definitely small say world. hi. He'll, he'll, get a, he'll get a kick out of it. Yeah, yeah we'll talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, James. Well, look, this has been absolutely fantastic. Really great, obviously, to connect finally, as I say. I feel like we've been trying to plan this forever. So <laughs> thanks again so much. Um, Thank you so much. And of course, I'm more than, here. yeah, no, it's my pleasure. And I'm more than happy to have you back on in a few months and uh, learn more about uh, all the progress you guys have made. Okay, great. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, take care. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, well, that is a wrap for today, and indeed this week. Just a friendly reminder that coming up next week, uh, we've got another fantastic guest that I'm actually recording today, just a couple of hours. Uh, his name is Dmitry Shevlenko, and he is the co-founder and president of a little Silicon Valley company called Tortoise. If that name sounds at all familiar, well, yeah, it's because you recently probably read about them in the news. They are bringing the magic and wonder of, well, autonomous mobility to your favorite e-mobility scooters. Yeah, imagine this, a fleet, or is that a flock, or perhaps a swarm of e-scooters autonomously riding themselves to you when you summon one, and in the reverse, when you get off one, when you end your ride, they then shuttle off to their designated parking spots. Uh, Sounds like something out of science fiction, and I can't wait to learn all about them. So uh, yeah, if all goes according to plan, My chat with Dimitri should go live next Tuesday, the 16th. So until then, thank you again so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care. Bye-bye.